0: A single exome sequencing test revealed a mutation in CTLA-4. You immediately make a diagnosis that now is from very recently, it was shown to cause a complex syndrome of autoimmunity and immune deficiency. The beauty is that there was a drug already there available on the shelf that you can use to treat these type of conditions. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman.
1: Well, hello, and welcome to episode 46 of the Genomics Podcast. In our last episode, Dr. Shali Naik explained how single cell genomics helped us to better understand how our immune system recognizes and attacks foreign antigens. Now, recognizing foreign antigens and fighting off pathogens is a critical function of the immune system that I think we all appreciate. But another equally critical function of the immune system is not recognizing and attacking our own healthy tissues or self-antigens. This immune tolerance of self-antigens is maintained by a complex set of different pathways that are really only partially understood. Scientists have determined that self-reactive B cells, or T cells, can be removed in the thymus, and that regulatory T cells, or Tregs, can also help us maintain immune tolerance. But despite these pathways, In some cases, the immune system can lose self-tolerance and can attack our own tissues and self-antigens. This can lead to development of autoimmune disorders, like rheumatoid arthritis, or type 1 diabetes, or many, many others. So today we're going to talk about how next-generation sequencing, or NGS, can help scientists to understand autoimmune diseases and immune tolerance. I'm joined by Dr. Carola Vinueza. Carola is Professor of Immunology at the Australian National University and the Director of the Center for Personalized Immunology. She also co-directs the China-Australia Center for Personalized Immunology based at Renji Hospital in Shanghai. She uses NGS to unravel the complex interaction of cells and molecules that regulate antibody responses, and to identify genetic abnormalities that interfere with this process and contribute to the development of autoimmunity. Carola Vinuesa, I want to welcome you to the Genomics Podcast. So you and your team are, are really interested in understanding mechanisms that underlie autoimmunity. And for our listeners who are not aware of autoimmunity, it's a situation in which the body's own immune system, an individual's own immune system, can recognize our own cells and tissues as foreign antigens and mount an immune response against those. And that, over time, can lead to development of autoimmune diseases, like some autoimmune diseases that people might know, or rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, and I'm sure there's a long list of others. So to start, what's happening to our immune systems during autoimmunity? How does it begin and lead to human disease? And how do we treat these disorders today?
0: Well, I think you've introduced it very well. At the core of the problem is an inability of our immune system to distinguish what is self from what is foreign because as you know our immune system is really there to recognize mainly foreign microbes bacteria viruses but when mechanisms of tolerance break down it starts as you say recognizing our own tissues as foreign and you know probably there are many mechanisms that can contribute because we know that tolerance is not established just at any one time point you know as the immune cells develop there are certain mechanisms in place that help those that are more reactive against self to be removed from the repertoire but then as the cells get activated new checkpoints become important in making sure that those that remain being somewhat reactive to self are again inactivated or eliminated so there are many different reasons why these tolerance mechanisms can fail But an important part of that is is genetics, you know? We have variants in our genes that might predispose some individuals to developing a particular autoimmune disease.
1: So you said that there are a lot of different pathways that might be associated with loss of tolerance and autoimmunity. So for those molecular pathways that are normally at work, Do you see the same kinds of molecular pathways for a particular autoimmune disorder? For example, take rheumatoid arthritis. Do you see the same pathways that are problematic in rheumatoid arthritis and type 1 diabetes and other autoimmune diseases? Or you see more heterogeneity? Do you see that there are particular pathways that are confined to one particular type of autoimmune disease?
0: Yeah, look, that's an important question. I think from very general terms, sometimes we classify autoimmune diseases into those that are systemic, which means they can affect many different organs and tissues, or those that are organ-specific, in which the immune system targets a particular organ, let's say the pancreas in type 1 diabetes, etc., I think there is general agreement that some pathways are more important for some diseases. For example, regulatory T cells, we also call them Tregs, Tregs, are particularly important for this type of organ-specific autoimmunity. Tolerance pathways that occur in the thymus or operate in the thymus are important for organ-specific autoimmunity, whereas for the spectrum of systemic autoimmune diseases, and there we can include, for example, systemic lupus erythematosus, lupus, even rheumatoid arthritis, some others. There are probably a different spectrum of pathways, although of course there is overlap, and these include, for example, an exaggerated type 1 interferon response, dysregulation of B cell tolerance, and a few other You know, complement, for example, is very important in lupus. So there are some that are shared, some that are specific. But I think we do know that some pathways are really probably important for more than one autoimmune disease. And also within one autoimmune disease, there is heterogeneity and we could have different pathways causing different types of that disease.
1: Wow. And the types of technologies that you and your lab are using to study immunology, can you just kind of briefly discuss what kinds of technologies you use? And over the years, I imagine there's been a lot of development in the technologies that are applied to autoimmune disorders, so can you talk a little bit about some of that historical context there? How has the technology developed over the years?
0: It has been a very exciting times for immunologists, you know, because we have really turned the way we work around in the last 10 years. So for example, when I first came to Australia, the John Curtin, there wasn't any possibility to do any of these next-generation sequencing or editing. So to try and identify good models of disease, we had to start from animal models, which either were existing, spontaneous mouse models of disease that might actually not have the mutations that are relevant to human disease, right. or we introduced them with chemicals like ENU right. and tried to then you know phenotype these large cohorts of animals to see which recapitulated some of the clinical manifestations we see in humans. So of course that led to deeper understanding of the immune system. It was a very useful exercise, but it didn't quite translate into the clinic. We weren't really able to come up with better therapies, and the reasons are complex, but of course one of them is that the mutations we were looking at probably are not the same ones that occur in populations, not in humans. So what has changed now with the advent of next generation sequencing, is that we can really now start from the patient. We can sequence the entire genome, We can find mutations that we think are very likely that contribute to disease, particularly if we are dealing with a severe end of the spectrum with more monogenic type disorders, one gene disorders. And we can then prove that those mutations cause disease by introducing those mutations through, let's say, CRISPR-Cas9 editing into mouse models, cell lines, et cetera. So I mean, the possibilities are endless now. We can actually find mutations, prove that they cause disease, and immediately have the relevant animal model that we can use to understand how disease comes about and to trial the many therapies that are there on the market already. But the problem now is we don't know which patient will respond to which drug. Now, with this new approach, we can do that.
1: So the NGS kinds of technologies that you're leveraging now, so can you describe what some of those are like? I mean, are you using RNA sequencing, DNA sequencing, like kind of talk about that a little bit.
0: We started doing whole exome sequencing because, well, it was was affordable and easy (laughs) and and fast. And we've done now nearly 2,000 individuals only in Australia, plus about several hundred in China. As it became possible to do whole genome sequencing, we transitioned to start doing some genome sequencing. Still, mm-hmm. there's always that balance of cost versus what are you really trying to look for. For cases that look pretty straightforward and that they're good candidate genes, exome sequencing still might be preferable. So, but of course, you know that even with when you're dealing with pure Mendelian disorders, doing whole genome or whole exome sequencing still fails to find causative mutations in about 50% of individuals. And there is, and of course the reasons are are various, but there are of course mutations in non-coding parts of the genome that alter splicing, structural variants that are difficult to identify with current tools. So the next thing we are moving into, and, and we are not the only ones doing this, is of course RNA sequencing, because that allows you to identify these aberrant transcripts, or proteins that might be overexpressed or underexpressed as a consequence of, for example, having a variant in a promoter region that is not necessarily part of the But you might not catch exome. an exome sequencing. Exactly. Yeah. So as we try to increase our diagnostic rate, we really have to move to using other technologies.
1: I understand there's this tension in whole exome sequencing versus whole genome sequencing. And there are a lot of situations where you would want to use one and not the other. So what are the advantages in whole genome sequencing over whole exome sequencing?
0: Look, pretty much at the moment, I think it's very clear that that whole genome is the way to go. First, because you capture all of the information that even though now we still lack all the tools to really make sense of all that information, right. because we can still only make sense of the coding part of the genome, the exome, which is 1% of the genome, new tools are being developed all the time and better ways of interrogating the non-coding part of the genome are becoming available and I'm sure will be available in the next few years. So it doesn't make sense to limit your possibilities now and spend, you know, just duplicate spending down the line just because you didn't capture all the information at the beginning.
1: Yeah, one of the things that you said that I I find really interesting is this idea of precision medicine. And probably for most of my listeners, they understand precision medicine in the context of oncology, right? Right. That's kind of the the flagship application. So can you talk a little bit about precision medicine in your context, in autoimmune diseases? How does that look?
0: Yes, look, I mean, we're finding more and more mutations that cause autoimmunity. And of course, I mean, traditionally, autoimmune disorders have been thought to be mainly due to many common variants, you know, acting together, each of them conferring a small effect. But there is increasing number of monogenic causes of autoimmunity being discovered. And this is true for many different autoimmune diseases. We recently had, for example, a young child uh, referred to us. We've had several of these cases in Australia, but this one in particular came from overseas. You know, with severe autoimmunity, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, enteritis, several autoimmune cytopenia, so, for example, a decreased number of several important cell types, and then a few other, you know, autoimmune manifestations, you know, psoriasis, vitiligo. That child had also had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as young as 15 months of age. Wow. And when it came to us, was already 20 years old, having undergone multiple extensive diagnostic tests. Still didn't have a definitive diagnosis. 20 years. 20 years. Quite sick, you know, because of this enteritis. Couldn't, you know put on weight, and that really made him homebound. He was not even able to go to university because of these problems with... So a single exome sequencing test revealed a mutation in CTLA-4. You immediately make a diagnosis that now is from very recently, it was shown to cause a complex syndrome of autoimmunity and immune deficiency. The beauty is that there was a drug already there, available, you know, on the shelf that you can use to treat these type of conditions. So patients, individual patients, can enormously benefit from knowing what is their specific mutation. I mean, in other disorders, you might find the mutation, but still that might not immediately point to a drug. But then once you know the mutation, you can also trial existing drugs, as I say, on these bespoke, personalized mouse models or cell models that we create once we know the mutations.
1: I think it's it's just incredible, this story, that there would be someone who had a 20-year diagnostic odyssey when an exome sequencing would reveal a monogenic disease for which there's treatment available. It's just, I don't know, in 2019, I find that an amazing story, really. Yes. Do you think that there's... A lack of appreciation of this concept of personalized medicine for autoimmune diseases and do you think that in some way is inhibiting from people from you know taking this approach that seems to be so important?
0: Yeah I mean we have to remember that you know autoimmune diseases there's a, a very broad spectrum. Those that start in adulthood I think it is fair to say they are not going to be monogenic in their vast majority. There will be two, three, four many genes contributing and those are more difficult to try and understand what the true mechanism is and find therapy that will work but we have to go into that complexity we are starting to go there now and we are finding rare variants that contribute to you know adult onset autoimmunity even though they might not be the only cause but of course in the spectrum when we are looking at pediatric onset you know childhood onset severe disease they tend to be more enriched in monogenic causes in the case of lupus, for example, that's where we find some of the interferonopathies, where we find mutations, let's say, in TREX1, RNSH2B, DNAs1, complement factors, where, you know, a single gene can cause a disease. We still don't have many therapeutic options available, but what we but now that we start knowing some of the genetic causes and we start having the true models of disease, I think we can the next challenge will be to see what are the therapies that will finally work in these patients.
1: Wow, no, that's very hopeful. The one thing that you mentioned in in terms of you know having a a multitude of low risk variants, now there's a. Kind of. I mean, I think everybody that I talk to is interested in something called polygenic risk scoring, where exactly, you you're yes. adding up. On, yes. Is that something that you're also interested in for autoimmunity?
0: We definitely are. What we are trying to do is to really incorporate rare variants. I mean, we recently did, a, for example, a study sequencing two hundred patients, and we found that, you know, a large proportion of lupus patients have rare variants, and some of them are functional. So for us, the challenge is to incorporate the rare variants with the polygenic risk and see what comes out of that and if we can develop algorithms to predict right yeah you know what combination will really trigger disease versus but yeah that's where we are all aiming and, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's complex and we need better tools and perhaps some machine learning. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that that's really interesting. Another thing that's very popular lately is this appreciation, and I would just throw the term out immuno-oncology, this appreciation that the immune system and cancer, tumor development, those two processes are fundamentally linked. So the work that you're doing, does it have any impact on our understanding of how the immune system is functioning. Maybe you know, in cancer, we can, we can take that example, but more generally in, in those kinds of diseases.
0: Sure. Even the example I just mentioned, this child with a CTLA-4 mutation, I mean, CTLA-4 is a prototypic checkpoint inhibitor. So yeah. CTLA-4 is a molecule that limits immune activation or T-cell activation against self. So if you dampen that pathway, you can reactivate responses against self, including against tumors if you enhance that pathway, you can prevent autoimmunity. So for example, the, if you give these therapies to cancer patients that block CTLA-4, some of the side effects are the types of autoimmunity that the patients with these point mutations in CTLA-4 develop. You know, yeah. I was talking to you about enteritis, right. cytopenias. So, so we are learning a lot. And I think what we have understood about immunity and autoimmunity is guiding in great part, this next generation of checkpoint inhibitors. We are finding more and more molecules that, you know, would normally inhibit T cell activity and blocking those molecules can be effective anti-cancer therapies.
1: So you're applying NGS, RNA-seq, whole genome sequencing, whole exome sequencing, you're applying that study of the immune system, its biology, and then autoimmunity as, as a disease process. What are some of the challenges that you know you encounter in your laboratory in using these techniques to, to study autoimmunity?
0: I mean, in terms of challenges with the technology, it's really the interpretation. It's making sense of the thousands of variants, it's prioritizing. Because from a I mean, from a diagnostic perspective, you look at those that are already known from a research interest, we are very often finding completely new. Mutations or mutations in new genes that were not previously associated with disease. So how do we, you know, rank them? And then we are, of course, ignoring, as I mentioned, everything that is, at the moment, that is non-coding. But we know that there will be important causes of disease in that non-coding part of the genome. So the challenges are to develop better tools to understand structural variants, to go into the, you know, RNA and transcriptomics, but then the next big challenge for us is to really bring in environment, no? Infectious triggers. We're starting to play with the idea of sequencing the metagenome. We know that for autoimmune diseases, you know, viruses matter. Right. And what are the triggers? Are those foreign viruses? Are those endogenous? Commensals. Yeah. Or are there self antigens that mimic? Incorporating all these variables, as I say, just making sense of the data, of massive amounts of data.
1: Going forward, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever time you want to put on that, what excites you about the future of this field? What do you think the impact is going to be over the next 10 years? I mean, are there particular technological, scientific advancements that you think are going to, to happen to really transform the field? What, what does the future look like?
0: I suppose the challenge for us is to find treatments. You know, there is no cure for autoimmune diseases as yet. There's over 80 autoimmune diseases. We don't have a single cure for any of them. Wow. And that is because we do not understand disease. So even just finding what are the true key pathways, what are the best biomarkers, how can we stratify patients, how can we use the data to really illuminate, you know, new therapies. Now, finally, we are getting geared to start trialing some of the existing drugs on our new Models, no, based on human mutations. For me, what excites me is if in five or ten years we could say we have now effective therapies for, you know, some of these diseases. And then, of course, delving into areas that at the moment are very, very difficult to, to tackle. You know, the repertoire of B cell and T cell receptors. <laughs> yeah. But not just those receptors, but the ant- what are they seeing? No, we know that self antigens might not just be. Straight self antigens might be modified. There is increasing evidence that for a self antigen to really become immunogenic, it might be, you know, modified. So it could be citrullinated, deamidated, misfolded. I mean, how do we integrate that information with the receptors on our immune cells, with the genetic susceptibility? I think there's a lot to do. I think excitement is going to come from many different areas. <laughs>
1: That's wonderful. Carla. I want to thank you for talking with us about your work and about autoimmunity. I, I share your hope for the future, that treatments ultimately will come out of this, as well as a better understanding of immune system biology. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us, and thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs> thanks to you, Paul. Whole genome sequencing holds the promise of identifying DNA variants that are known to be involved in autoimmune diseases today. And as our knowledge of DNA variants improves in the future, these whole genome data sets will only increase in value. Leveraging additional omics techniques like transcriptomics and metagenomics will improve our understanding of immune tolerance and autoimmunity as well. Hey, if you liked our show today, why not subscribe to the Genomics Podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. You can also hear our show by asking Siri, Alexa, or your Google Assistant. Just say, play the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Join me next time when I'll be joined by Heather Renton, Executive Officer of Syndromes Without a Name in Australia. Heather will discuss her daughter's diagnostic odyssey, the power of genomics-based testing and empowering patients with rare diseases. Right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast.